The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome to another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast, and I am Lee Russell, your host. I'm with my two co-hosts this time around, Daniel Harper. Hello, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? Good. And PA Brunos, Paul, how you doing, brother? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, we're in part three now of our uh, sex comedy series. We're like uh, I said in the previous episode, we're going to try to go to the end of next month with this, so uh, we still got some episodes to go through. We're going to go through some proto-sex comedies this time around, all picks by me from Crown International Pictures, and we'll get more into that later. But now we're going to introduce a new segment, well, at least a segment that we're stealing from another podcast. I'll get you to introduce that, uh, Daniel. Sure. Well, this comes from a, uh, I think, now defunct podcast from uh, Drew McWeenie. Who, uh, and Scott Swan. Uh, Drew McQueenie um, wrote as Moriarty on Any Cool News for many years and now uh, blogs at hitfix.com. One of my uh, favorite writers about film, but he had a podcast for a while, a kind of intermittent podcast of excellent quality uh, about films, um, but it, it was not out very often. I haven't seen an episode in over a year, I think about two years now, so we're just going to call it defunct. But they used to play a game um, called Movie God. And uh, the point of this game, and I'm stealing it outright from Drew McWinney, so apologies, Drew, if you ever listen to this. Uh, maybe I'll tweet <laughs> you and let you know that we've, we've brought the, uh, the movie god thing uh, full circle, or we're going to continue on. Uh, but the point of this game is um, one person gives the other a list of uh, two items, like two movies, two actors, two something like that, uh, maybe a composers or whatever, but the idea is that I give, like, a, so I'm going to do Lee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Lee two items, and he is movie god. He gets to decide one of those two things gets eradicated from the timeline. So not only does it, like, it's not like we destroy every copy of it, but it never existed, meaning that the entire production process that got it, that it made that film never existed, and anything that came about because that film existed no longer exists. So, for instance, if Lee were to choose to get rid of Jaws, you basically destroy the modern blockbuster. And whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to you. But the idea is that we're actually messing about with time here. So I think that maybe I am not explaining it as well as I might, but I think that once we play it a bit, then maybe uh, the, the point will become clear. And, uh, Lee, I'll give you a link to uh, some of the old episodes from uh, the Motion Capture podcast uh, where they actually played it uh, very entertainingly. So, cool. Lee, are you ready to play I Movie am ready. God? You ready. are Movie God. You have to choose one of these two things to destroy forever. Dawn of the Dead or Halloween? Oh, oh You're man. a dick. That that is a nasty one. Um, Made especially for you, Lee. I thought I thought long and hard about what would be really really painful, and it helps to think this out. It helps to like talk yeah. about 
So if you kill Dawn of the Dead, what happens? If I kill Dawn of the Dead, I kill one of my top five favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite movie of all time, depending on the month, I guess. Fuck. It, it, well, if you get rid of that one, Night of the Living Dead still exists. Yes. So you still have that. So there's mm-hmm. still potential that you'll still get a bunch of great zombie movies, but I don't know if you'd necessarily get a zombie movie as smart as Dawn of the Dead. So I don't know. And if you get rid of Dawn of the Dead, you erase the Italian zombie movie yep. uh, mm-hmm. subgenre because, man, they just went fucking hog wild with ripoffs uh, after Dawn of the Dead showed up as zombie in uh, in Italy. Yeah, I'm not going to get rid of that one. I would actually have so, to say... So, so if you kill Halloween, what happens? If you kill Halloween... Um, does, John, does John Carpenter still have a career if you kill Halloween? I think I think he does. Um, I think John Carpenter is a strong enough director uh, that he could have gone on to do other stuff and it still would have taken off for him. I mean, Halloween was really sort of a happy mistake anyway in, in, in how popular it got. I mean, it was originally supposed to be the babysitter murders and there were, like we were talking like about uh, the town that dreaded sundown and stuff, there were already proto-slashers out. There were movies that were similar to Halloween that were out like Black Christmas. I think maybe the um, slasher genre would have still been fairly, uh, fairly strong. Uh, I think Friday the 13th probably still would have happened without Halloween because it really it takes more from Town of Dreaded Sundown, at least in part two, and and yeah, and, yeah, Bay of Blood uh, mm-hmm. from Mary Baba. Considering all the sequels to Halloween and where it went from there, I could live with Halloween dying, I guess. I, I think I could live with that because it, it does have sort of a tarnished legacy if you look at all the stuff that's come after it, especially in the actual franchise itself. Whereas Romero's Dawn of the Dead, there's really only maybe two weak sequels afterwards in, in the whole series. I can live with the zombie movie craze that's in its like fifth fucking uh, wave now or whatever wave it's in now at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Halloween. I, I, I would, I would get rid of Halloween. Awesome. You, you are a, you are a good movie god because I, I agree with that choice. All right. So I'll have to pick something for Paul here. That was um, fun. I, I didn't, I didn't agree with that until we talked it out. We talked it out more than it made sense. But I could have said the same things to Halloween that he said to Dawn of the Dead. Or vice versa. It's very they were very similar matched titles, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, it's it's highly sub, it's highly subjective because it it's really determined on what you like that's come afterwards mm-hmm. when you're comparing. Uh, if you would have said if you would have said I would have think I think if you would have said maybe um, Night of the Living Dead and then Halloween, oh, that... it would have been a hard. You know what I mean? It would have been more of a polar polarizing choice because, like, without Night of the Living Dead, then you then you're just putting a hammer in the casket to the zombie movie. Yeah, industry. without Night of the Living Dead, arguably Romero doesn't even have a career at all. Exactly. No, he would. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where where would he be? He'd be like there. There's always Vanilla or whatever the fuck that movie was he made. Uh, he would have. He would have continued to be a. Um, camera operator or whatever he was on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Or directing commercials or whatever he was yeah. doing. Yeah. He, you know. Okay. A world without George Romero would have been a, a very sad world. Yeah. It would have made Pennsylvania a little bit more boring, I tell you that. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I will pick something for Paul then. And oh, I'm not going to go movies. I'm going to go... I'm not good at this. <laughs> oh, and, and, I, and, I, and, I've, and I've got one... Uh, it, it might, might it might not be too tough for you. This this might be one where you might be able to make an easy choice, but um, but I'm just taking this off the top of my head, didn't prepare it or anything. So, uh, craft beer. <laughs> no, you are a movie god, Paul, and you have to eliminate either Vincent Price or Paul Nashe. Can we pick something else? <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to answer Vincent Price okay. or Paul Nashe. Oh, I, I, ugh. ah, yikes! Um, right, so talk it out, Paul. Okay, well, so the thing is, I'm gonna have to eliminate Paul Nashe because wow. I, I, no, well, kind of like the same thing with the, uh, I don't know. This hurts. This is not cool. What, what do you uh, lose if you lose? If Vincent you lose, if you if you lose Vincent Price, you lose. I, in my retrospective, kind of look at. Vincent Price, you kind of lose you lose a, a good chunk of, of just the, the classic horror section of film. I don't under trying to just I'm just trying to look at it. You lose like 85 horror films <laughs> and that, that that help shape directors across the whole span of the genres, even out of horror. You'd lose that because I don't know how many. Films are actually based loosely off uh, of uh, Vincent Price's work. The one of that, course, that, that it, well, the one that it brings it back to automatically, that is based off the inspiration of a Vincent Price film that you have to under, that we go back to is Night of the Living Dead. Without Vincent Price, that would have never happened. Exactly. Yeah. And and so um, Nashe is a is a cult icon in the Spanish film history. And it, and it does influence independent directors, but nothing that ever rocked the world. In my, even though I love Paul Nash and I love Paul Nash's films, it's a subgroup within a subgroup. It's it's not something that I think if didn't happen wouldn't have had a dramatic effect on the world. It would have made me a little bit more worthless than I already am. Other than that, it's it's. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, I I don't want to do it, but you know, because that really plays down Nashe's importance to in the film industry to me. But yeah, I'd have to go. Nashe's gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put a shoot him with a silver well, bullet. When you think of, yeah, when when you think about it, Nashe has more of a cultural influence in his home yeah. country than he does an overall. Yeah, it's influence. very sub sub you know the subdivision subgroup all the way and then you go culturally all the way down and it's very hard in the spanish even in even in spain it's still underground though it's still a, a more of a cult movement than a you know a giant superstar ad- yeah. attitude you know what i mean that's kind of thing now maybe if it was in the mid mid 80s in spain that would be a different attitude he had you know it would be more like this new big thing coming out you know buried in time and dust so yeah that's this and sucks if, this isn't a fucking game i don't like this game I'm <laughs> <laughs> and you know i i kind of i kind of dread to think what might have happened to just low budget horror in general vincent price wasn't around to do those poe films for roger corman in the yeah, 60s the ravens i mean that that's that, that that took jack nicholson's career Mm-hmm. I mean, you those I mean? The, and those films made uh, Corman and his production company tons of money. Like they, mm-hmm. they just churned out like hundreds of films. See, this is on some this of that is, success. Uh, 
a nice way to, to, to push the pin into a person and put them on the spot. The only <laughs> problem is if I do it to Daniel, I don't know Daniel very well. That's true. Lee, would you like to do me just to... Uh, oh, my God. Uh, I heard that. This don't is, worry. I, I would, I would uh, do awful, awful naughty things to Lee if we yeah. lived in the same uh, municipality. It's much I, I, okay, let me, do, let me do Daniel. Okay. Right. Okay, I got, I'm, I'm ready to take him. So, okay, uh, do it. <laughs> okay, two films that that you would uh, get rid of. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry if this is a stupid one. Boogie Nights or Pulp Fiction? Boogie Nights. I kill Boogie Nights. No question. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. hold on. Boogie Nights. I'll talk through because my immediate yeah. thought is with the, Boogie Nights is probably my least favorite of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. I'm a huge P.T. Anderson fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had just come out of uh, Heart 8, which he called Sydney, but he had come out of Heart 8. It took him like two years to get the funding for Boogie Nights. That kind of put him on the map. Without Boogie Nights, he probably wouldn't have made Magnolia. I, I think he still would have had a career. It might have been a very different career. But I think without Boogie Nights, I don't think he does Magnolia. I don't think he goes big in the way that he kind of like went on to do There Will Be Blood and, and Master. But I still think Paul Thomas Anderson has a really interesting career without it. I just think he does maybe more smaller two-person dramas like Heart 8. Um, but Pulp Fiction is such a like seminal influence on all of like independent cinema from 1994 to 2001 that it's yeah. it's not even a question. Um, well, then again, you know, without Pulp Fiction, maybe you don't get all the Pulp Fiction imitators, which kind of made a bad name for those films for a while. So I think both of these guys still have a career Without the, you know, either Tarantino, I think he definitely still has a career without yeah. Pulp Fiction. I think that uh, P.T. Anderson still has a career without Boogie Nights. I think they just have very different careers. But if you ask uh, me to kill one, it has to be Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, both have an equally big cult following and things like that. I just figured I'd just give throw those on the table and see what you thought. Let them work it out. It's tough. It would be a more interesting universe. Like, if we got to look at both universes, I think it would be a really interesting universe to see what would Quentin Tarantino have made without Pulp Fiction. Like, what would be what would be his second film if he yeah. hadn't gone to Pulp Fiction? Would he would he have been allowed to make anything? Would he just been relegated to being a screenwriter for the rest of his career? Yeah, that would have made me happier. Maybe uh, you know I'm a big Tarantino fan. I think you know after Jackie Brown he took like seven years off and and gone. You know it's funny like after Pulp Fiction he didn't go back to that well. It took him a long time to really. I mean he he does Jackie Brown, but Jackie Brown's a very different film. And then mm-hmm. he took seven years before he did Kill Bill, and now he does much more very different films. He he didn't make a slew of he didn't do the uh, what's his name Guy Ritchie thing and like make yeah. the same movie five times, which. You know, commercially, he absolutely could have just sat down and made Pulp Fiction five different times if he'd wanted to. So I think I think Tarantino still has a career without Pulp Fiction. I think that, you know, Pulp Fiction is one of those, like, lightning-in-a-bottle phenomena. Like, if it hadn't happened in that moment, it would never have happened in the same way. But I think both these guys still have a career, you know. And uh, I'm a big fan of Tarantino as a writer and a director. You know, I, maybe he would have gotten to Kill Bill sooner. Maybe he would have he would have moved in a different direction earlier. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but I, that's a good one, though. I, I like that. I like that choice. That is a tough choice. The the more I think about it, the the more I don't want to kill Boogie Nights, though, just because I with I think without Boogie Nights, you don't get Magnolia. Uh, I I love that film so much. So you know, yeah, good one, Paul. I like it. Yeah. Yay! Yay! Don't All ever right. do that again. 
Thank you. <laughs> no, we're, gonna gonna... we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. All right. Uh, before we get on to uh, what we're watching, just want to mention a really brief, brief um, thanks to uh, podcast. I I follow the uh, Midnight Movie Cowboys. They gave us a shout out on their latest episode, uh, so that's very much appreciated. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, very, very good podcast. Uh, they cover a lot of uh, obscure stuff, a lot of varied stuff. Uh, I really, really like it, and they're a very non-PC podcast, which I appreciate. So uh, I, I always enjoy listening to them. Um, usually, they usually crack me up quite a bit. So um, very, very good podcast, and I'm sure most people are actually probably aware of it because they're a fairly popular one as well. So, But, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to uh, get a little bit of recognition from someone else in the podcasting community, so that's cool. Yay, we're making a name for ourselves. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be making the millions of dollars here really soon. Mm-hmm. Those fat podcasting checks. You'll, Lee's going to get rid of us pretty soon. He's going to be like, yeah, fuck those guys. I don't know. I'll 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 pay you all uh, a pittance. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Just keep um, me in beer money, Lee. That's all. That's all you yeah, get. Yeah. There you go. All right. Have we watched anything in the past week or so? Uh, we'll start with you, Paul. Well, I watched the three movies that you told me to. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> what else do you want? I rented Pacific Rim to check that out, and I was so busy that I had to take it back to the video store. But. Uh, <laughs> I did buy some some things, so I will be watching some films before the next episode, hopefully. What did you um, buy? Well, I had a list up, and of course everything went to crap. But I bought uh, Dead Heat, oh. uh, Bay of Blood, oh, a, a, a werewolf movie, sort of dram- dramatic werewolf movie from England called Wilderness. Still there, Paul? I think you, you dropped, dropped out. out. You might have dropped out. Okay, we'll move on to you, Daniel. Uh, sure. Have you watched anything this week? I actually, uh, last night, I stayed up way too late because I was watching the films that we're going to discuss on the podcast today. I was drinking, and you know how it goes when you're drinking and and watching, um, you know, old movies, and uh, you're just kind of sitting around, and you kind of get this hankering for the uh, glory days of Bill Pullman. Kind of, kind of, just one of those, uh, one of those just moments that I think we've all had. You Sorry just start thinking think, about uh, Bill Pullman in the 90s. And um, one of my uh, favorite films in, the, in this kind of weird independent film of the 90s genre is uh, The Zero Effect, uh, which is uh, Bill Pullman and uh, Ben Stiller and uh, Kim uh, Dickens. It's a kind of weird private eye film uh, from 1998. It's kind of underseen. It's directed by Jake Castan, who is Lawrence Castan's son. It's uh, really kind of underseen, I think criminally underseen. And uh, I actually kind of randomly spent the $3 to rent it on Amazon Video for 24 hours. Watched it. It's actually one that one of these days maybe we'll talk about uh, on the cool. podcast. But, yeah, I've never watched um, that one. It's a really interesting kind of little character piece. It's got com- comedy. It's got drama. Um, it's sort of one of those things that feels a little bit ahead of its time because, you know, it was made in 98, and a few years later, Monk premiered on the, on the USA Network. And there was uh, this kind of work in, in turning this into a uh, TV series at one point. Jake Kasdan eventually made a, a documentary called um, The TV Set, I think, which is about the process of trying to turn the Zero Effect into a movie yeah. or into a TV show, yeah. um, which I haven't seen that um, that film. I, I need to. Uh, one of those uh, things that I think today you'd kind of see this as a... It might be more popular today if it had been released. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. Um, but uh, but a really interesting. Um, it's not like a, a great film. I don't think it's not one of those you know that 
But uh, it certainly has moments that stick with me. It has a, it's a, uh, a lot of great performances. Clever, slightly quippy detective genre movies. I think it starts off a little bit slow. It starts off a little bit generic, a little bit like, yeah, this guy's kind of crazy, um, kind of ripping off the Sherlock Holmes mystique. Oh, yeah. But, but it's worth seeing, and uh, if you ever watch it, Lee, we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast. Cause, uh, cool. I have very fond memories of it. I, it's one of those that I caught on pay cable at 3 in the morning one day, you know, <laughs> you know, 15 yeah. years ago, and it just always kind of stuck with me. So, uh, And then I watched it. I actually finished rewatching it just to, just before we started podcasting tonight. So. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. Good film, and uh, Kim Dickens is one of those uh, one of my favorite uh, actresses, kind of working actresses today. Um, if you don't know the name, which most people don't, she's on a lot of TV. She's probably best known for Deadwood. She was uh, Joni in Deadwood, and uh, she was in Hollow Man. She was the uh, the girl with the short red hair in Hollow Man. If you oh yeah, okay, red hair, Lee. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, as long as we're talking, since we're in the sex comedy episode, we can always uh, you know just kind of slide this in. She is not. Uh, she is definitely a prone to nudity in her films, let's just mm-hmm. put it that way, and in her TV work. Uh, she Which did is that. very commendable. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but also a great actress, and uh, originally from my hometown, Huntsville, Alabama. So. Hey, look at that. Okay, we'll go back to you, Paul. You got cut off. Uh, the last thing you said was uh, Wilderness. In your... Wilderness, yeah. It's a drama, werewolf drama from England from 96. I got that on VHS. I got Hell Knight, uh, the Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski. Mm. So I knew you'd like that one, mm-hmm. I got that on VHS. And uh, let's see what else I got. I got Cutting Class and Blood Sucking Freaks and Night Train Murders. <laughs> and Cutting Class, that's like one of Brad Pitt, not Pitt. Brad Pitt's first movie role. Isn't that, yeah. isn't yep. that like a, uh, a slasher movie from the 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it's like a. Like, I, I don't know if it's a. I think it's a horror comedy, but I'm not sure. I have to check it out. Well, yeah, I, I remember seeing. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it when it was. New, I think. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's got um, it's got Roddy McDowell in it as a principal. It's got the guy who was the gay boss on Roseanne, um, guy with the glasses and the mustache, and he was in the movie we we're talking about a couple episodes ago, I think. Fuck, I can't. Oh, think you talking name. about the short guy when he grew up big in the thing? Uh, the <laughs> uh, no, but I there's... can't remember his name because I thought he was on Roseanne. No, but uh, no, but there was a patrol. Yeah, the the guy in. The, the guy who was the developer in, in Ski Patrol. Okay, oh, he, he was in it. Oh, okay. I Mark Paul, yeah. yeah. There's this running joke in the film where he, he gets shot by an arrow for, for, from the from the killer, and then he spends the rest of the movie like trying to crawl his way out of the wilderness back to back to civilization with this arrow in his fucking chest or whatever. And, <laughs> And uh, yeah, and and yeah, it is sort of a horror comedy in a way. Also, also just because the acting is so incredibly fucking bad, including Brad Pitt's, that it's yeah. kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things that people don't know, I they never pay attention. A lot of times, I didn't pay attention either. But if you look at slasher, this the idea of slasher. No matter how they turn and twist the slasher genre, you're killing a vast majority of movies from then on. If you kill the slasher genre, the way and we were just playing. Movie God. Right, right, right. If you kill slashers, you kill Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, uh, Kevin Bacon. I mean, like uh, you just c- start naming it. And if once you kill Kevin Bacon, then there's never a movie ever made after that. <laughs> yeah. So once you kill everyone him, everyone else's much... career is gone after Kevin yeah, Bacon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just so, there's just oh. white noise on cinema screens. <laughs> oh, we're done. Beep. Yeah. 
Just roll the American flag footage. I think even Kevin Bacon helped with that, so don't even run that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anything else, sir, Paul? Oh, uh, Hell Knight, if I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. With yeah, Linda Hell Blair. Knight. And, and uh, well, I think there's probably nothing else. Well, I got Elvira's Haunted Hills for the kids because they broke my DVD. <laughs> so I got it on VHS. Yeah, all those movies I mentioned, I think they were on VHS that I got. Cool. Mm-hmm. Except for um, Werewolf Fever from a DVD from 2012 with a chewed-off leg and a roller skate. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I haven't watched any of them yet, but that should keep me good for the rest of the year. That's like 10 minutes watching for you, Paul, I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Skim it through. Yeah. Uh, the, the only thing I saw this week uh, really was I was just sort of cruising Netflix, and I found... Uh, documentary uh, called The Sheik on the Iron Sheik, uh, the WWF wrestler, most well-known in the 80s. Uh, Mm It wasn't too bad. If you're like a hardcore wrestling fan, you'll find it kind of thin on uh, real juicy details or anything like that. It's it's much more just like a broad overview of his life and career. But it is kind of entertaining. Like the Iron Sheik is very entertaining anyway. Like he's sort of had this resurgence in social media as this character. He sort of got his life back on track. He kicked all his drug habits and got over some family tragedy and stuff like that. So it's essentially uh, the movie The Wrestler, except it has a happy ending instead of a a sad one. (laughs) A little note. My hometown, Berwick, uh, was a big WWF town. They always came and wrestled at the local um, high schools and stuff. And they had the uh, the heels and the baby faces. They had to eat at different restaurants. Mm-hmm. And we we went to we used to go to the restaurants. And back when one of the times the Iron Sheik was in town, he tried to have sex with my mom. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah. And I, she said she says no, but then I ended up being part Persian. So she might have said yes. <laughs> well, that's it's funny. Just just a quick aside before we move on. Um, uh, one of the one of the things that sort of killed that aura of believability for pro wrestling uh, was partly in due to the Iron Sheik because his drug bust, where he got caught in a car with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who he was feuding against at the time. Uh. They got caught with cocaine and and stuff in the in the same car and so started to smarten some of the more uh, rural, shall we say, people who still believed in pro wrestling is 100% legit, uh, some of them started to smarten up a bit, and it kind of kind of changed the business from, from there. He got fired because of it. Yeah. So. I mean, it was, some people don't know, it was very strict back in the day. You weren't allowed to associate yourself with anyone that was a heel if you were a babyface, or vice yep. versa. Yep, separate dressing rooms, weren't allowed to be seen in public with uh, the people you're fighting, yep. Yeah, it's funny, I, I don't uh, follow, you know, I'm not a, a wrestling fan, I don't, you know, I've kind of I've kind of seen it from afar, um, I saw Beyond the Mat uh, back in uh, 2000, 2001 when that movie came out. You grew up in the 80s, so, you know, I knew a bunch of people who were into it, and I've got some friends who are into it now, but uh, it's funny how metatextual, uh, wrestling really is, and, and just how many layers of you can't use words like metatextual with wrestling fans because we're dumb. Uh, uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, I, I think I think that's not true. Actually, I think there's there's this really like people people really get the level of you know you're referencing a thing that you're referencing a thing that you're referencing. You're always breaking the fourth wall over and over again to the point where I think you know you watch I, I watch now and I talk to people who are fans now. 
And it's like how much of like even the the backstage, even the documentaries kind of feel manipulated these days. And like it's even that's part of the thing. And then you know Vince McMahon's an asshole, and so they they put him, they put the fact that he's an asshole behind the scenes in the ring. You know, um, yeah, he's know, a great um, deal. As someone as someone not following it, the different le- the way the different layers of reality intersect is sort of one of those fascinating things about the the wrestling phenomenon, and uh, I do view it as more than just a softcore gay porn. You know, honestly, <laughs> you know, it is, I mean, it is, that, it is that. It is that. Oh, good, good, yeah. More, it's more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's uh, women on again. Yeah. So I don't know. The divas, well, yeah, you, the divas are great. No, we 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 watch that. No problem. You know? Or you could talk about uh, Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling from the 1980s. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speaking of gorgeous women in the 80s, oh well, we're in the 70s now. Yeah. Um, are we ready to talk about some uh, some proto sex comedies? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, we just went right into that, didn't we? I love yeah. it. Awesome. I segue. saw a segue and I went for it. Yeah. yeah. See, um, this is what you do when you have a podcast, Lee. You have to understand. You need segue. Whenever you find a good segue, you then have to ruin the good segue by talking about how good your segue was. No, exactly. I, I understand. I'm I'm constantly under the learning tree when when I ever <laughs> podcast with you, so it's awesome. So uh, we're going to be doing three uh, movies I picked, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, from Crown International Pictures. Uh, just a little quick blurb on them. Uh, they were an independent uh, film company. Formed in 1959 by Newton Jacobs, uh, who was originally from RKO. Um, they tried to be like uh, American International Pictures, essentially. They wanted to be one of these big independent producers in the in the United States, North America market, and they wanted to focus mostly on sort of low budget exploitation films and B movie fare because honestly. They were looking at it as a financial thing. Best turnover is to make cheap pictures that cash in on certain trends, put them in the drive-ins, make a quick buck, and make more movies. The movies we're picking uh, this time out are sort of their version of the beach party films that came out in the 1960s or so, except they're you know more more adult. They when they first started, they were making about by the time they got to the late 60s, they were making about six pictures a year. And by the time they hit the late 70s, they were making about 16 pictures a year. So they had a pretty good model going on. The movies we're going to be talking about today, there's actually about four in this series, sort of. We're only going to be talking about three of them. The The, the first one was from, I believe, 75 or 6, was called The Pom Pom Girls. Um, we're going to leave that one out for, for this this time anyway. Uh, we might get back to it. But the first one we're going to be talking about is The Van from 1977, uh, a.k.a. Chevy Van. It was retitled. Um, directed by Sam Grossman, written by Robert J. Rosenthal and Celia Susan Cotello. Stars uh, Stuart uh, Goetz as Bobby. He went on to... And and you also notice a trend here. Most of these movies, uh, it was pretty much mandated for each director that they had to have the lead character called Bobby or for some weird reason. Every main character. Yeah, that's how it goes, you know. Yeah, uh, Deborah White as Tina, uh, Harry Moses as Jack, Marcy Barkin as Sue, and Bill Adler as Steve, and he's uh, one of the sort of carryover actors who you'd see pop up in actually all the films in this series. And then there's Steve Oliver as Dugan, who appears in two of these pictures. We we will be yeah. talking quite a bit about. Good old Dugan, I think. You know. Yeah, and he actually got his start uh, in uh, 
a Russ Meyer pitcher, Motorcycle, from the 1960s, and he was in a couple other motorcycle movies, Werewolves on Wheels and Cycle yeah. Psycho, and he actually went on into some bigger stuff. Uh, he was actually in one of Steve McQueen's last movies, uh, Tom Horn, and also we have Connie Hoffman as Sally, who's sort of the sex pot in this uh, film. And Danny DeVito in one of his early roles as Andy in sort of a bit part in this in this film. The owner of the car wash, right? A, a yeah. pivotal, a pivotal part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so essentially, the uh, the whole premise here is that uh, young Stewart, who is a happy-go-lucky sort of ginger guy, who he, he his whole his whole goal in life is to make it with women, and since this film sort of uh, focuses around van culture, which was something that sort of existed for a few years in the 70s and maybe the early 80s. Um, the whole premise was around getting the most souped-up, uh, awesome van you could find, full of accessories, uh, full of awesome decals and, and paint water jobs. Beds. Yeah, and waterbeds on the inside, and going around cruising for chicks. And essentially the, the premise is that he's got to have this awesome van so he can find himself some the girl of his dreams, basically uses his college money to put the down payment on the van, and he goes out with his friends. They meet uh, Tina and Sue, and there's some interest in, in dating those, in between those uh, those couples, but he's also sort of after Dugan's girl, Sally, and that's essentially the, uh, it's essentially the conflict is, is he going to choose the, the more down-to-earth girl next door uh, in Tina, or is he going to doggedly pursue Sally and, mm-hmm. and try to end up with her? So um, I'll give it over to uh, you first, Daniel, on uh, any of your thoughts on this. Sure. Uh, the van, I will say... Uh... I will I will summarize it a little bit more succinctly than you did. This is the adventures of a cut-rate Ron Howard <laughs> if cut-rate Ron Howard was an attempted rapist. Um, and this is, uh, that, that's pretty much the, the film. Uh, one uh, telling detail you left out of the description of the van is it has mirrored ceilings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Home, which yeah. I think is I think it's important. Yeah, you can see a lot of nice fanny shots all the time, which is good. I, I love the fact that they are racing these things because I can only imagine that a waterbed is going to be an amazing uh, thing for uh, handling of a of a yeah, giant. Nothing, nothing uh, better on those tight turns and water sloshing out of the back. Yeah. Um, kind of talking about all three of these. Um, I I was not familiar with any of these uh, before. I mean, I, I was kind of vaguely familiar with uh, with them, and I think I've seen bits and pieces of the van um, as as a kid. <laughs> Very uh, plotless films, all three of them. There, there's not a there's not a lot of through line here. Um, they are kind of designed to be drive-in movies, so mm-hmm. uh, you know you get these kind of long sequences of of just kind of people hanging around. If you look at these culturally, uh, they kind of come out of the the 60s beach pictures as you mentioned Um, but those pictures really don't have any explicit nudity or drugs or anything like that Mm -hmm. if you view them today I think you view these these films as as kind of silly and ridiculous or whatever but I think at the time they were they were very gritty by by the standards of the genre and were kind of considered to be uh, in some sense if not a viewpoint of what teenagers' lives in the 70s actually were, kind of what teenagers in the 70s actually wanted their lives to be yeah. um, in this kind of subculture. So um, that's just kind of general thoughts about these three films in general. I think The Van is a 
<laughs> a decent little flick. Um, Danny DeVito was good in it. I kind of like the uh, the, the verite quality of some of the sequences, like the uh, when they go to the uh, uh, the van show kind of on the beach thing, and, and you kind of get the feeling that this is just kind of what this subculture looked like. And I mean, I can only imagine they basically just took a camera to one of these, you know, I think they did, actually, yeah. Um, and just kind of filmed the, the actors just kind of walking around, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I think... It's nice to see that kind of, like, realistic stuff thrown into a film like this. I don't know, don't don't have a lot to say except, uh, man, this guy's a creep. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was kind of on Dugan's side for uh, for large stretches of this film, honestly. So I think uh, it's it's uh, you know you learn a little, you cry a little at the end, and then uh, people get their tops off. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Uh, how about you, uh, Paul? Oh, it was a good movie. I, I uh, enjoyed it. It does. It's definitely a more modern take on like the Frankie Avalon, uh, uh, Annette Funicello films. Taken from uh, a more modern aspect in the seven in the late seventies, not not as much disco that I thought and that I would thought it would be in it, considering <laughs> yeah, the time it was made. But yeah, it's more uh, country rock than anything. Yeah, else. which I'm fine with. Um, yeah. It well, was a good yeah, film. I, as, you, I, as you get deeper in the decade, I think they get more and more disco. But yeah, so I just want to throw right, that in. right at the crest of the seventies. There's actually a disco vampire movie called Vampirella, I believe it's and it's a disco vampire. So it. We have enough disco at this point. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, the best. The best thing apart, I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm. I like uh, women. That's the. That's my biggest thing. I think it's my. It's my selling point. And I. And I. I think the women in the '70s were a lot more attractive than the women in many films. Other than that, so I was happy to watch uh, some blatant gratuitous nudity through these films and I thank you for showing me them. They're good films. I thought there was this one was good. It's not as good as all the other ones. I think um, this one's better than one of them, but then the other one is better than this one. Which one? The Van, I think, just uh, or the Van's Nuns and Boulevard, Van I think, is the, is the best one for me. But uh, this was fun. I love all the films have the most if they're distracted or the lazy, the cops are just so lazy in these films. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, they don't care about anything. And the next, it took him at the end of the film like seven minutes to get out of the car. And I felt like there's bands laying everywhere, cars are smashed. And he's just like, oh man, my car. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Danny DeVito charges in like the cavalry right at the last second, but he's too late, which is fun. Danny DeVito is uh, is is probably for one of his first roles is really funny to see him stuck in a vehicle and trying to pull the, his ass out. <laughs> that's I was like, now that is exactly the way I want to see Danny DeVito make an entrance in the films, just loud and get me out of this damn kind of stuff. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, and uh, also recurring theme from the other two episodes we've done, uh, fed laxatives uh, against his fed will. Fed laxatives, yeah. yeah. Yep. Castor oil uh, in the beer, one yeah. The, uh, one of the rec- recurring characters in or actors in the film trilogy also gets... Uh, Gets a, a big swig of laxative, and he's mm-hmm. one of the ones that running a tr- running, and he locked the the bathroom, so yeah. they couldn't get in. So that was really good. A lot of pranks, a lot of fun, just uh, goofy stuff. Never trust a redhead, male. Uh, this this Girl. guy's uh, yeah, this guy's like a horn. He he looked like Mick Jagger as a ginger to me. When I was like. a, when I was that age, I was horny as shit and wouldn't stop thinking about sex too. So I understand that, you know, I understand their their drive. It's pretty good. They didn't talk too much about what was under the hoods. It was always just, yeah, I got a lot of power. Want to race? Where's, take your top off. 
It was more like yeah. along those lines, but uh, it was a good film. A little bit of jumping around. The film did a lot of jumping around. I didn't take much time to dissect the film or pay too much attention. It was just a good film. Not too much to talk about. Uh, it really did. Um, re I did rethink my uh, insults. I'll tell you that from now on. Uh, <laughs> Turn. Turd. Uh, apparently, <laughs> if you really want to piss somebody off to the point they're going to actually literally kill you, call them a turd. That's all you need to do. That's... Nobody calls Dugan a turd. Sorry. Nobody. Nobody calls him a turd. Yeah, <laughs> so that was uh, pretty fun. Um, no, the cops had radios back in the day, but why use them to, to stop a runaway yellow van? That's obviously <laughs> the easiest thing to spot on the road. Don't worry about it. As long as we get to make out at some point in time, we're good. So that was a good time, uh, and her butt was nowhere near as big enough to break that waterbed. So, uh, but it was nice to see it. But other than that, uh, it was a good movie. Uh, definitely one. Uh, I'm not probably gonna go out to try to look for it again, but it was fun to see. Yeah, it, it's it's very light fare. Uh, definitely, there's mm -hmm. really no story at all. Uh, I do like that. Essentially, um, it it does show though that uh, Bobby's going about everything. Totally in the wrong way. He is. He's being rapey. He's being creepy. Uh, he's got a. He's got a really nice girl next door who would be interested in in him if he actually grew up and was respectful towards her. And the other girl, uh, Sally, her her sort of backstory just kind of disappears from the picture. Like for a while there, you get the feeling that maybe there'll be some sort of interesting kind of triangle thing going there between her and and Dugan and Bobby. But in the end, she just well, no, she's still with Dugan. For mm -hmm. some reason, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of almost, almost gets uh, uh, ravaged by a giant black uh, pimp, so that was fun too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of uh, was interested by the Sally character. I think of all the characters in the film, I think Sally is the is the least served by the script. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of, I, I think there there was a sort of character there. There was a sort of because she is making sexual decisions for herself and. Um, again, something that we could say about all three of them is this does kind of represent this era in the late 70s, kind of when there was free love before there was AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, and AIDS just destroyed this subculture. Right, you know, rightly so. If, if <laughs> No, that just um, makes those subcultures not live as long. That's different. Right, yeah. right. But um, I did think the Sally character, you know, she is trying to, you know, she's with this guy. I mean, this is kind of always the way these films go, I think, as we as we continue on talking about these sex comedies, and particularly when you get to the 80s. You know, always, you always get the pretty girl who's with the jerk, and it's like, well, why is she with the jerk? And there's, there's always that question. You know, and ultimately the 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 answer is that the people writing it didn't really care about her motivation enough to give her that. Except like, no, no, you need the antagonist, and you need something to make the antagonist constantly fight with the the underdog. Yeah, she, she she's a trophy, not a character. But I think the actress exactly. gives it enough of a. Uh, don't worry, they're usually dumb enough to. Be like, oh, it's okay. She's just a trophy. She's dumb yeah, as a she, boxer she off anyway. She doesn't. She doesn't come off dumb though. Like the way she's no, I don't know. Just the way she's I mean, like it generalized those films. These mm -hmm. films yeah. generally, they put someone that's very vapid with the uh, the big strong muscle guy. Yeah, no, I, I I like the fact that she decided to sleep with uh, our 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 ginger rapist hero um, <laughs> for her own decisions. Yeah, sorry. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna call him the ginger rapist hero. Calls, you know. Um, this is definitely a. This is definitely one where you reach that moment in the van. You know, he's invited the girl who's playing pinball, and I love that this is his pickup line. So there's a girl playing pinball. He goes to. He, he, you know, he pulls up. He's in the dive bar. 
he comes up to her and he says, Hey, you see that van out there? You like it? It's mine. Want to go sit in the back and smoke a joint? And, yeah, yeah. and then the second she's back there, he basically starts uh, pawing at her, Mm -hmm. and she fights him off. And then, I don't know, the film kind of treats this like, it turns out that she's wearing uh, push-ups. She's wearing, like... Yeah, she's wearing falsies. Falsies. And, like, it's sort of like one of those things, like, well, it was right for her to be uh, sexually assaulted because she was faking her, her tit size, right? Like... Well, if you I mean, I mean, you're not as old as I am, so you don't understand all this. Uh, if you're, you know, that's the uh, it's that that's the van equivalent of do you want a cup of coffee? Do you want to sit in my van and smoke a joint? That <laughs> sure, means you want a cup, sure. you want a cup of coffee. You know, yeah, sure. when, you, when you hit 58 like I am, you understand that. Actually, I think um, you're the youngest one on this podcast. I Paul. might be the youngest one on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I look younger now that I've I've shaved my beard, but <laughs> mm. okay. Well, I think we can move right on to uh, Malibu Beach from 1978, uh, written by the same uh, people who wrote the Van, Celia mm-hmm. Susan Cotello and Robert J Rosenthal. Although this time Robert J Rosenthal takes a, the director's chair as well. Uh, this one up in the world. Way to go, Rosenthal. Yeah. <laughs> this one uh, stars Kim Langford as Dina, James Dotton as Bobby. So there you go, another Bobby. And this and James Dotton actually went on to play the rich uh, Dick in Animal House. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Susan oh, Player. Crawford was in Apocalypse Now. So mm-hmm. yeah. Susan Player as Sally. Michael Luther as Paul. Steve Oliver returns as uh, Dugan. Uh, we have Flora Plum as Miss Plickett, Roger Lawrence Pierce as Claude, Sherry Lee Marks as Margie, and Tara Strohmeyer, who was also a, sort of a minor uh, TNA movie star in this era. Uh, she was probably most notable for her uh, bit part in Kentucky Fried Movie. Um, I love was, that movie. Yeah, it was, it was... Girls in Trouble. Yeah, it, it, hers was the segment where uh, the... The news announcers are watching the two people at home having sex on the couch <laughs> <laughs> uh, as Gloriana. So this one uh, actually sort of has more of a, a female protagonist uh, this time around, kind of switches it up a little bit. I mean, it, it still sort of has the same dynamic of two guys and two girls uh, trying to hook up and uh, get together. But this time around, it's much more centered around Dina, who's a young lifeguard at the beach. She uh, attracts the attention of Dugan, uh, but she's much more interested in uh, Bobby. So there's uh, actual conflict. That's the basically the main conflict of the thing is mm-hmm. those two f- trying to fight over her. And then there's all kinds of naked, silly hijinks uh, mm-hmm. going on, and that's that's essentially what the movie yeah. sort of uh, revolves around. So. I would uh, I would really like to get a dog that does that. Yeah, uh, goes around and steals tops. I think that would be a good dog to have. Mine just uh, want food all the time, and that's not cool. Did, uh, did that they, was a pretty did good they movie. imply that the dog was owned by the teacher at the end? Was uh, no, that, uh... no. I think they were just. I think that was just a little, uh, just a little last minute sort of joke that they put in there. Just like a little beat, like just a reference back to the start of the movie. I oh, think. Okay, okay. else. No, um, I just I saw the dog get in the back, and I'm like, I mean, this is this, you know, it definitely makes the that that those sequences as welcome as they are, with the dog taking the uh, bikini tops. More mm-hmm. interesting. It turns out that it's the it's the teacher. You know, that's, because inter- I, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it makes you think, oh, this uh, you know this repressed uh, teacher sitting here with her glasses and her and her yeah. way too much clothes on. 
she's came actually, by the end of the movie, she was looked like a little a little uh, minx. So that was yeah. good. She's actually yeah. trying to get all the ladies naked, you know. Like, yeah. Let's go naked. Uh, I thought it was, uh, if I'm not correct because I did re- watch these in in pretty much order. So if I get them confused, I do apologize. I think I got the van pretty much okay. This one, I believe, the start of the movie is great when they're all drinking and getting high on the beach. The cop comes down. He sneaks <laughs> in there, sits down, and when they hand him the joint, he says, "You're all arrested." Ends up knowing people, getting get communicating, talk a rookie cop, and then ends up getting high and drinking with them the whole night. I'm like, now that is exactly from the stories I've heard about police back in the 70s. That's exact. That fits perfectly. Just that low key, not really caring too much, not overbearing. They won't tase you and beat you to death. That's as exactly. long as long as you're white. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. there's no black people in this movie. No, um, no, no, no. no. Uh, but yeah, yeah there, there's a, there, yeah, it's interesting because they they basically this this movie is essentially exactly the same formula as the van, pretty much to a T. Mm-hmm. they're lazy, really lazy cops. That's the name yeah. thing about this film. Yeah, the so it's got two, so it's got, lazy. it's got two bumbling cops again, but this time around the older cop, he just wants to get drunk. And he, the he, wants, guy, he, he wants to go to the bar and drink milk, uh, spiked with JMB scotch, mm-hmm. um, which. <laughs> okay, you go, man. You know, yeah, uh, well, whatever right. floats your boat. Whatever floats well, your boat. It's interesting to me, like looking at the cops. Like if, like if we're going to get any, if I'm going to be able to overintellectualize this film at all, which is my thing. So you know, allow me to. Um, <laughs> you know, trying trying to bring the trying to bring the uh, the academics into this conversation. Um, academics. You know, uh, if we're if we're going to talk about it at all, I mean. If you say the the older cop represents kind of the old guard, and you know he he's an alcoholic cop, you know, and that's kind of the cliche, sitting at the end of the bar on a shift and you know not giving a shit about what's going on. He's supposed and to have then, an Irish accent though, and they failed at that. <laughs> and then the young cop is kind of the uh, the beatnik or the the uh, the, the hippie. Uh, he's kind of the the Serpico, but you know who doesn't really have a any crime to go after sort of thing. I think it's interesting to see the the difference in terms of, you know, given that this is a film that's uh, targeted towards teenagers, you know, targeted towards the people who are kind of in the film who would have gone to these kind of parties, I think it's interesting what they're trying to say about the police force, maybe, and about, like, you know, what the, what the cops are really like. I do think it's interesting that He's gonna arrest them all, and then he finds out. Oh no, you're you're my brother's friend or whatever. Yeah. You know? And uh, there's this connection. There's this personal connection. And honestly, the only thing I can think of is like this is like little tiny redneck towns everywhere. Kind I was of gonna say, do you, where do you live? Because I live in little tiny redneck towns, and you know everyone. I grew up in okay. Alabama. So yeah. Well, there you go. Everyone's these... your sister and brother. Watching yes, watching these uh, kids on the beach. You know, I didn't grow up on a beach town, but you could certainly imagine. You know, uh, when I was growing up, a bunch of kids going off into the woods and smoking and drinking, and you know, kind of a similar situation. So. Well, yeah, you um, get the uh, you get the sense that everyone in this little community knows everybody, and all the teenagers, even though there are you know, there's the usual sort of social social strata in the high school or whatever. For the most part, they're pretty much all cool with each other, and they all hang out with each other. It's very much the same thing you see in Dazed and Confused, where 
the big yeah. the big parties, basically, you know, the after school parties or whatever summer break. Uh, they might not all be friends, but they all do actually hang out at the same. But parties, they're all there. You know? yeah. yeah. I, I Dazed and Confused is a great reference. I was thinking about that watching all three of these films, thinking mm-hmm. about like Linklater is in Dazed and Confused is kind of hearkening back to these days, but this is a film made during that same time period. And, you know, you watch Dazed and Confused, I mean, looking at Matthew McConaughey's character, who is kind of the older guy coming and sleeping with the teenage girls with a van, yes, uh, Linklater is is being more honest about the, the motivations of the uh, of the van than maybe the van is necessarily. In terms <laughs> of, you know, it's seeing, it's seeing more clearly the, the predatory nature of some of it. But um, just going back to that element again, I definitely thought of Days and Confused a lot watching all three of these films. Yeah. Also, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights... I, it was funny that you mentioned it, uh, Paul, because I, I kept thinking of Boogie Nights, particularly when watching Van Nuys Boulevard, which I think we'll get to shortly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, dog stealing the tops, uh, was that footage was actually reused for a movie we've talked about a little bit in the last week or so, uh, The Beach Girls, uh, mm-hmm. the, because that's also Crown International Pictures. Uh, it's kind of interesting here. Like It seems like it's progressed a little bit more from the... Uh, it's bit, It's a bit more... It's a bit more mature and smarter than than uh, the first movie, to the point where it's kind of jarring how different this one is from sort of the beach party movies. Because Dugan in this one kind of reminds me of uh, muscle bound um, Eric Von Zipper from the beach party movies, and he I think he I think he kind of stands out as a more comedic character this time around. Yeah, he's definitely I was gonna say less of a of a douche in this one, and he has a very funny uh, self narration half the time going on that's like talking to himself about how he can't do this right or what the hell do I do this, and it's pretty funny. He's not too much of a douche in this one like he was in the other ones, well, or the other I, one rather. I, I think you and I and I kind of mentioned this earlier. I, I kind of watching this film. Yeah, Watching both of these films, I'm kind of on his side to some degree. Like in the first one, he's like, "I've got a girlfriend, I've got this this girl who I'm with, and then I've got this douchey redheaded kid who's <laughs> coming on and and trying to get with her." And I mean, sure, he's not like a good guy to his girlfriend necessarily, but he, you know, he, I, you know, I'm kind of on his side. I'm kind of you know, like you know, racing was... against redheads. I get you. I hear you. I'm, 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 I'm right there, buddy. Yeah, sure. No, that's Kill. exactly what I said. Yeah. Um, Kill Stuart Ricard. Kill him dead. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then in and then in this one he's uh you know, he he's kind of like he, you don't get a, a great sense of menace from him. I think in the first in in the van you get a little bit more menace. Here yeah. he is more of a comedic character, but the, the the decision to give him like voiceover narration and get inside his head, like it, it shows a sense of introspection that that the the filmmakers have, and uh, there's very little even text in Malibu Beach. I mean, this is definitely the the one that is most designed just to be something that is playing in front of you while you make out in your car yes. at a drive-in. Yeah. Um, yes. There, there's, there's very little movie here. But, I think the biggest uh, part was when the two cars crashed through the the Brock walls. I think that was the most. Uh, you know, edge of the seat moments kind of thing going on where you paid attention to the screen and, uh, of course, then the lazy cop comes in and steals the show with, I don't know, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, there, it, it's funny. I watched this yesterday and I have very little ability to, like, pick out particular plot points. Right. Um, yeah, I know that happened. goes... 
I know they go skinny dipping at some point. I know mm-hmm. they, you know, like uh, there, there's there's some there's some tits. Um, I like the fact that it's got a female protagonist kind of making decisions for herself. But man, there's just no story at all. No, there isn't. It's it's, a, it's more of a hangout movie, honestly. Yeah, it, it is just, is. A, just a party movie because um, in a, mo- a a better movie than this one, maybe more well, maybe just a more serious movie than this one. The initial hookup between the two couples, the two guys and the two girls, where they end up switching partners, that would have been a major point of contention in another movie where there would be some sort of stress or struggle because, oh, I like her, but she likes my friend and stuff like that. Here it's like, hey, let's switch partners. We seem to be getting along better the other way, so let's do it that way. All right. And it, and it seems like there's almost a conflict between that sort of um, that what makes Dugan kind of the villain in the film is that he's more traditional. He's more about monogamy almost than than these people are, and that, it seems like it's a conflict of those kind of values well, than anything and, else. I, I like that. I like that viewpoint because I do think that again, kind of going back to that free love culture in Southern California in the '70s, that, that kind of idea that you know, why do we have to make those kinds of decisions, and why do we have to, you know, the idea that yeah, I just like to get, I just like to fuck, and we all like to fuck, and we kind of fuck each other, and everything, everybody's happy until. Dugan comes along and tries to be a douche about it, you know. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, um, well, he's the man coming and crashing us down. What the hell? I could have say this in the next film at the end, but I'll just say it now. Uh, one comment I did read on the internet when I was watching it on this thing called the internet: these movies only make sense and are only are good if you're good-looking, white, and grew up uh, in SoCal in like that time period. Someone yeah. said that, and I said I don't agree with that. I can enjoy these movies. I get the movies. I yeah. don't. There's no. Sh- there's no cultural boundary to this movie. I don't think it's that deep. If you know what I mean, no. like there. There's not a depth, but it is like made in a particular time and place. And I think you have yeah. to put yourself in that time and place to to understand that like this is just kind of that world that these people mm-hmm. lived in. I live. I live, I, I live in a little bit more of a nostalgia mindset where I don't. How I didn't grow up grow up in certain times, but I wish I could be there right now because I really just hate this world that I live in now. Basically, I, I know. Not I know. To sound like a, not to sound like a downer, but like I really wish we could just go back to that point in time. I have no problem with that. I know. So sometimes that you're when I really leave, a fan of 16th century Genoa, Italy. I'm yes. aware that that's that's the time. I, it, it, give me a frill. I want a frill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man, you 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 know you know that, that just reminds me of like um, when I'm looking up like uh, sort of like uh, medieval music and stuff on YouTube. You see all these comments about these people. Oh, how great it would have been! I, I just want to go back and live in medieval times. You're fucking yeah. Idiot. I want I want to eat rotten meat and get toe man poisoning. Yeah. I, I I want to never see a dentist in my life. Mm. I never have. I want to die before 25. That's what I want to <laughs> do. That but at least the music's call. really good. You wouldn't hear yeah. the music because you wouldn't you'd hear be the music. You'd be in a field. I want to till the soil for you know twelve hours a day and start and not get them. any of the food that's grown there because it goes to the Lord. You idiot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, now uh, what I'm talking about retrospectively is seventy-seven, seventy-six. I'm not talking about let's go back to eighteen fifty and let's go to a smelting plant and fall on the furnace. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> 
Of course, <laughs> you're you're just just to be fair, Paul. Not to not to necessarily try to put you on the spot here, but you are having this conversation on the internet. Yeah, I know, I know, and I could live without it. Honestly. And and I, I think without you know, me. if you sure, no, I agree. Lee's an asshole. Um, <laughs> you know, be, being a a woman or a person of color in 1976 probably not the uh, not a choice that many of them would make. Um, well, good thing I'm not a woman or black, so that works out well. <laughs> shall we? Shall we move on to Van Nuys Boulevard? Uh, yes, let's, um, uh, I'm sorry, you're making my man badge drip a little bit. So let's let's go. Let's. Well, I just I just want to make mention also this movie, um, like just about every movie uh, of the during this era uh, makes reference to Jaws in the end with yes. an incredibly bad. Oh, oh God, shark. forgot! How did I fucking miss the horrible shark? <laughs> the that horrible so burping, the horrible burping shark. Yeah. Oh my! How did I? I it was so bad. At some point in time, I expected Dugan to pop out of the water laughing. I was just <laughs> like, "What is going on, guys?" Uh, you ha- yeah. that you have to watch the movie now. Everyone listening to this, you need to watch this moment in history. Yeah, this is film history. If this film didn't happen, Sharknado would have never happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably not. Well, that's 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 a future episode of Movie God, I think. Yeah, I guess we're gonna have to eliminate <laughs> Malibu Beach. <laughs> this is Liam Neeson. I have a particular set of skills, and I promise you, if you don't listen to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast, I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> Both right. might lose Sharknado. Yeah. All right, and we'll move on to the uh, final film tonight, uh, Van Nuys Boulevard from 1979, directed and written by William Sachs. Um, This one, actually, Bill Adler, who was doing bit parts in all the previous films, actually gets to star in this one as Bobby, yet again, the main character is Bobby. Um, Cynthia Wood, who is a former Playboy Playmate, as Moon. Dennis Bowen as Greg. Melissa Prophet as Camille. David Hayward as Leon Barnes Cooch. Tara Stromeyer is back for another role, this time as Wanda. And uh, Dana Gladstone as Officer Albert Zass. Zass. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite of the three. Absolutely. It's got it's got all the nice little moments. Uh, it's actually got a story. Story. The story's got, got uh, uh, Cooch is a characters. Gra- yeah, Cooch. I mean, um, you and that, that's the other thing. These actually have characters you remember. Look, yeah, absolutely and, a, and, a, remember. and a great mustache. There's a that mustache too. that you can remember. Yeah. It's the he he is a great comic relief. Uh, he he tries to be a badass and never it never works out for him. It's the great. I love the. When he gets pulled over after he gets mooned, which was a beautiful moon, by the way, uh, it was a great moment when he gets pulled over and he's trying to give the cop shit and it's not working out at all. It's great. This is a this was that, a good. That I will actually is still a working actor too. I, I will actually go out and I'm going to go out and buy this movie because I want to watch it again. Yeah, this this one um, this movie is definitely probably the best made out of all three that we're doing tonight. Uh, and like you said, it does have a story. Again, it tries to capitalize on a certain culture. The first one uh, in the series we did here capitalized on the van culture. The second mm-hmm. one sort of capitalized on the beach culture. This one capitalizes on a very short-lived 
sort of cruising culture that actually existed on Van Nuys Boulevard in this period. Yeah, because cruising is big over here still. And this was actually, it's kind of interesting because this is sort of a combination of um, everything you see in the previous movies. Like you see vans, you see souped up hot rods, you see motorcycles. Uh, so it's all brought into one picture. Everything um, was really building to this. Like the, yeah. the, this, this was the masterpiece. This was the, all the. <laughs> this was the magnum opus. <laughs> this was the magnum opus of the, the uh, trifecta you know. of glory. The, this yeah. is the, this is the Godfather Part Two. Of, yes. Yeah. Uh, this of this uh, film. This is Apocalypse Now. And this so, is this is it. Yeah, this was so, the Goodfellas, you know. So again, we have a we have a male protagonist who is in in the beginning incredibly immature. And more focused on his machine than he is uh, on uh, females with real feelings and thoughts. Uh, the, the best part of this one, before I interrupt you, is there's no creeps really in this one so much. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the other well, the other oh, uh, male well, the other there, male protagonist isn't as creepy. There He's there is one I'll bring up. There is one I'll bring up a little later here. There is okay. very there is a very creepy character in this that I'll bring up. But um, <laughs> oh, I sorry. One 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 thought about Malibu Beach before we move on. Just while we're talking, yeah, about let's it. do it. No rape in that movie. I no, just it was all to, it was all consensual. All the it was all, all, it was yeah, all Mal, yeah, that's wait. Which ones? Uh, which ones? Uh, nope. Yep, you're good. Okay, I was gonna say the waterbed breaking. That was he. She. No, raped. That, that was that. There, there was rape in the van. There's, yeah. there's, you know, of all the films that we've discussed in sex comedy, uh, in all three, that's the only film with no rape. I was mm-hmm. uh, impressed. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they got on. a good track record going on here. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so Bill Adler is as Bobby, and this time around he's uh, this sort of country boy who wants to get out of his rural lifestyle. He wants to move to mm-hmm. California to join the, the cruising thing in Van Nuys. He gives up this incredibly attractive blonde. Just uh, I was going to say, I'm so glad you mentioned that because if I wrote the story, the story wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I would be more than happy to sweat my ass off in the trailer with Hot Bitch all my life. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm good. And if you notice, she opens a beer that has ribs for a, a twist off. Yeah. yeah. With a bottle opener. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out. I saw that, and I'm like, "There you go. This movie makes no sense automatically." But then I ended up liking the movie. I gotta um, get out of here. You're just too hot. I gotta get out of here. So Bobby, so Bobby goes to Van Nuys. He, he essentially meets up with the other characters in this because they all get put in jail one night. The uh, nicest by, jail in the world. Yeah, it, it's 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 not only the nicest jail; it's a co-ed it's jail. A cl- for and, it's, and it's the cleanest jail in the yeah. world. Uh, it's, and it's funny because uh, Cooch actually has his own sort of bed, his own spot. He says Cooch right across the wall. There's yep. bright paint. And it says kiss my zazz. Yep. Uh, all the characters <laughs> meet up and they basically, you know, and there's not even really conflict between them and the officer or anything. It's just they're not like we're going to get back at him and shit. They're just like, hey, let's hang out. Yeah, let's hang mm-hmm. out after we get out of jail. Um, and that's what they do. Like it's it's much more about the competition between – uh, Bobby and Moon, who are sort of both like she's sort of like alpha, alpha female, he's sort of like alpha male, and they're yeah, both. She's giving everybody crap the whole film. It's nice. Yeah, they're they're both sort of obsessed with uh, outdoing one another, while at the same time have that mutual attraction thing going on. Um, uh, Cooch is uh, very much the sort of character you see uh, Matthew McConaughey's Wooderson is based on in Days Confused. He's the older guy. Who can't let it go? Can't 
his best years in life were in high school, and he never got out of those years, right? So he's he's sort of stuck in limbo. He's, he's, As with many of the people on my Facebook feed, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, yeah, so he is basically, his entire life is spent either working on cars or being put in jail on Wednesday night by uh, Zass. And Zass is, of course, the officer. He was a guy he went to school with. So, obviously, Cooch is probably in his 30s, if not approaching 40. Um, mm-hmm. It's implied, anyway. He's probably much younger here, the actor himself. But uh, And, yeah, he he needs something to jar him out of his lifestyle. Um, and that ends up being uh, Tara Strohmeyer as Wanda, who's sort of the, uh, the hot server at the uh, drive-in. Right. Yeah, she was she was in uh, Malibu Beach as well, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, um, she was. I you know I I am I am with uh, I think we're all kind of on the same page that Van Nuys Boulevard is the the definitely the best movie of the three. It's the only mm-hmm. one that feels like a real movie uh, mm-hmm. to me. It's the only one that really kind of has a, a central idea. Yeah. It's kind of have um, everything in it. And it's just instead of just pieces of something, they call it a movie. Well, this one instead, this one instead of just more. Putting uh, a camera down and like shooting tits, like the you yeah. Know, there seems to be an actual thought behind this. This um, one feels more like a spoof of American Graffiti. Like it seems like they had yeah. that sort of in mind, right? Because um, you, you have the ca- was seventy six, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this would definitely have been. Sorry, it, sorry. Just just thinking in terms of time frame. Um, I you mentioned the Wanda character. I really like this character. I like that. I mean, hey, okay, can I talk about the protagonist first? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he um, every time he opens his mouth, I kind of think he's a combination of Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of Will Ferrell doing his his dumb man character, and then you know, like you, I close my eyes and I just imagine. If you're going to remake this, you definitely cast Will Ferrell in this role. But, like, young Will Ferrell. He's a little yeah. bit old now. But uh, definitely uh, kind of farm boy, that Iowa farm boy kind of idea of, of uh, you know, he, he wears cowboy boots and he comes along and he's like, I'm going to, you know, I've got the best souped-up van and I want to prove it. And the fact that I've got a hot girl right here doesn't really matter. I, I can't make a name for myself here. Yeah. I think that's an interesting like kind of character dynamic. And then you get there and you find that, the real story of the the movie is about Moon and this other guy, kind of uh, competing for mm-hmm. for uh, who's who's got the fastest rig. And um, I don't know. I, I love the Moon character. I think Moon is is probably my favorite. Well, other than Cooch, Moon is probably my favorite character. In the film. <laughs> Cooch um, is my I think have to be my favorite. I like him I a mean, lot. Co- so Cooch. Funny. Just, just the mustache alone, like yeah, just the mustache. <laughs> I just um, love the "I'm a badass." Whoops, no, I'm not. Sorry, yeah. thing he has. It's just so good. Um, the the movie when I started watching it, I was titillized, and then I was irritated because I was like, "Where are you going? She's in the trailer, hot, naked." And then and I was very laughing. Naked. Like, very, like, very naked. naked you know? Yes, uh, and I'm, and I was. Uh, then I, then, then, then you meet these uh, the other um, was a young man and, and girl in the the. I accidentally hit, uh, trying to hit on the uh, um, another protagonist girlfriend and the girl. I, up the, yeah. For a minute, I thought he was almost going to be a retread of Ginger Rapist from the first. Yeah, movie. but he yeah. wasn't bad in the film. He wasn't really <laughs> that bad. And she ended up rolling his hands up in the window, and then stuff. Because the boyfriend came back, and then the boyfriend ended up punching, uh, punching him. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then that, she actually showed her. She kind of showed her like, "You didn't need to hit him. What are you doing? You know that kind of yeah. thing." And I thought he'd be a little, a little bit more into the film, but I don't rem- remember him so much. No, from he that disappears point on. after that. He disappears. I, I thought he was because he kind of looks like Dugan, so I thought he was going to yeah. be like the Dugan character in this film, but he just disappears right. from it. So. And I'm glad right. they got rid of him because I don't think I would have liked the film as much if it was between him and him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, then the the best. Um, no matter, I love all the rest of the film, but the best part for me, the one that sank me in the film and said, "Yes, I like this film," is when they go head to head at the next gas station and beat the living shit out of the two cars. <laughs> they that, that's definitely the, the set shit. piece. That, that is it. Like this, this moment of like, what the fuck. Wait, that's this. That's the moment. This that, film that's put a key, the, the key in my heart and turned the lock. Because that, boom, that's it the was culture. It. That that yes. is, that is this subculture to a T. Like you, if you if you understand this moment, you understand all of these films. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of yes. The, 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 and it wasn't just the two protagonists going at each other. Everyone in the gas station picked up something and started beating. The living fuck out of those cars. That was what sold. That was what made me laugh the most and sold it for me was the one gas station attendant there with the big, just big fucking with wide eyes. Just, yeah, just going boom. Yeah, he's boom. Just kept like that. That guy would be a killer in a in some exploitation film. In and the uh, that's that. It also reminded me of what they do here because they get cars at the local schools and it's a dollar a swing. <laughs> I don't know if you guys do that. Anything you guys do that in your area or whatever? But we get car oh, We have we have no, some no. stuff like that around here. Growing, yeah, up, growing up in Alabama, they would actually do. Um, they would paint. They would get old junker cars and they would paint one side blue and orange, and one mm-hmm. side red and white. Alabama and Auburn, and yeah. you have to bash which side. And then you know it was it was a thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's great. And that's uh, I, that moment in in film history for that film sank me into it. I was like, yes, I'm dedicated. I'm watching, and I didn't skip through a damn bit of that film. I didn't. I, mean, I was like, well, I'm watching this there, film. there's a scene that comes right after that, Paul, that I think you might uh, have uh, also been interested in, where the biker girl shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the great. Keep your fifty cents. <laughs> I love that. The biker girl shows up, fucks the the uh, milk toast guy. Yeah, basically, just, I, I, you know, the only thing about the biker girl is I wish she was Sybil Danning. She looks like Sybil Danning. Yeah, she, she looks like Sybil Danning. But I was like, if you were Sybil Danning, that would be even more awesome. I don't know, but yes, yeah, this randomly biker girl comes up, hot as balls. Get on, takes him to the party. They all get stoned. She bangs the hell out of him, drops him off. There you go. <laughs> this kid is having this, the this best is, night of his fucking life. This this is just kind of my life, honestly. This just this is just that happens to you all the time. I know, yeah, but no. you know, for Lee and I, <laughs> I mean, I just I get left at a gas station. Hot Barker girl shows up. Uh, you know, we don't even have to really exchange words. It's really just kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, no, come on, we're we're going. Um, yeah. Although now without the beard, it's maybe less. With Lee and I, yeah. usually it's like a bus full of nun stops, and we go, no, nah, it's all right. Yeah. Oh, so I get the bus full of nuns, and then they all fuck me. That's just. The... Oh yeah, you have the converts. Yeah, yeah. The converts <laughs> of the dark side. Uh, but this, overall, this film is 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 quality, and this is a good film to talk about. Honestly, out of all the three films, this one is a good film to talk about. Funny bit of trivia for the uh, scene where they're bashing the cars. Um, they had when they initially envisioned that scene, they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna bash the fuck out of these cars. We're just gonna destroy them into piles of rubble, like Street Fighter Two bonus stage kind of thing, where you just kick yeah. the fuck out of them." <laughs> but what they didn't what they didn't think about was 
wait a second, this is the 1970s where they still made cars out of real metal. <laughs> and so they they had the hardest fucking time bashing those cars to pieces, apparently. I mean, you, you, can, you can tell that these guys are really going at it, and they mm-hmm. just get worn out. They're just physically done, like, trying mm-hmm. to beat the shit out of these cars. Like, <laughs> you know, this was before there was a concept of a crumple zone. Like, let's just mm-hmm. uh, keep... No, know. these cars could literally drive through brick walls, as yeah. you saw in Malibu Beach Party. Yeah. 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 Or Malibu yes. Beach, yeah. Or Malibu Beach. You could, you could literally see this happening. Although our hero uh, Bobby's van in this film... Uh, interesting thing, uh, the version of this I got is from uh, Mill Creek. Uh, I know Paul's familiar with Mill Creek. They're, oh, yeah. They're, the, they're, they're basically the biggest distributor of like public domain films and stuff like that to DVD. I got one of the rare Mill Creek DVDs that actually had director's commentary on it. Almost totally unheard of uh, from that I company. Have like 50 or 60 ones that aren't in the boxes sets, and they don't have anything on them. Yeah, That's this was amazing. Out, this, and this was out of the box set. Yeah, um, and they mentioned that they used the, the hero's van barely could run. It w- and they they picked basically the cheapest fucking van they could find so they could trash it at the end. Uh, Moon is very crazy in her own sense, and I probably would have not been with her because she's just weird. She goes. What are you doing? I hate you, Vesna. Yeah, that was a that was a weird. Vesna, 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 and freaks screamed out by a bitch, and you're, I gotta blow it up. So he just blows it up, and then she goes, "You're crazy! I gotta leave you." What is that? I just showed. <laughs> that's that's I I I just shook my head at that part of the movie. I'm like, yeah, that's typical. You know, yeah, that's, that's that's the only part of the that's the only part of the movie that I felt kind of was weak was in in the end where. It was like she just turns on a dime. It does not show her, like, have the realization, you know, maybe when she's driving away from the motherfucker that, oh, wait, he crashed his van for me, you know. And then yeah, yeah, like she, like, freaks him. out. I guess she needed, like, just the moment to drive around the block to realize that everything's okay now. Uh, I actually almost thought, like, I was almost like, oh, my God, this film is going to end where they all go, you're a nut job. Go back to L- wherever you came from, and they leave them. I'm like, what a great ending! I'm like, oh, they're turning- <laughs> I'm like, shit, they're turning around. Okay, I was, well, I was fully expecting that ending, and then they they come back. I do like that shot, like all in, you know, oh, yeah. where they all oh, kind yeah, of drive off shot. and Definitely. come right back. I, I don't know. Um, and she had to run of- a marathon to get back to them. You could have <laughs> yeah. parked a little closer. <laughs> I don't know. We're we're uh, we're drifting a little bit, but uh, I think we're all like, definitely on the, the the Van Nuys Boulevard is definitely the the best of the of the three. Mm-hmm. And, well, Lee uh, and I hate it, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the yeah, that is definitely the best of the three. And and actually, in general, it's a good movie. Yeah, this is probably the only one that I would say. You know, if you're if you're not interested in this subgenre, this would be kind of the one to watch. This is you know. If you're not someone who will just kind of sit and watch these just to enjoy them for their for their pleasures, I think Van Nuys Boulevard is the only one that I can say to a normal person and say, you know, you should check this out. It's actually like a decent film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those ones that you, it's not a throwaway film. The last one, I don't know, I can't, my brain is not right, but you did uh, Zapped, um, mm-hmm. Zapped, Zapped again, again, and and, and, and uh, Ski Patrol. Or was that a, a different one you did? That was the, the first. That was the first episode. Uh, second episode was uh, Hot Dog the Movie, Hamburger the Motion Picture, and um, Malibu Bikini Shop. Okay, with that, like, because uh, I, I was uh, thinking back when we were talking about this about Zapped. Zapped is one of those ones that you'd want to buy. You'd, mm-hmm. It's not a disposable. It's actually good for the time. It's a done. It's done well. I enjoyed it. 
this is the same thing. Mal, um, I'm going to go buy this film because it's actually pretty pretty good for what it is. I love the fact that they actually took some time and developed some stories, as you guys were saying, and developed the characters that you can actually enjoy them. And the only time I've ever seen a co-ed uh, jail was on a porn, so that's pretty good. <laughs> this is kind of a porn. Let's let's just let's just mm. be real about that, you know. Mm. Um, well, it, it definitely, it definitely uh, sort of clicks into the uh, food fetishist uh, culture. Oh, yeah, they're spraying stuff, stuff with, with whipped cream and everything and eating a hoagie or something. I don't know what's no, going I on. Was, I, was, I was going to uh, talk about this. I think Wanda is one of the underrated characters because she is like portrayed as being like she knows what she wants and she, she goes after it. And, yeah. um, you know, oh, I, I, I keep bring. I keep saying this. I always appreciate it when the when the female characters are actually portrayed as like realistically sexually interested, as opposed to, yeah, you're the boring guy. Like so many films, even today, kind of treat the girl like you get the you you save the day and get the girl. You know, it's like one thing. Like, yay, I got the 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 big gold thing and saved killed the monster. And mm-hmm. Lynn, the pretty girl, just wants to be with me because. I did that, you know. Here you you actually see like women actually going like, yeah, you're cute. Sure, I'll fuck you. Let's go. Uh, you know, more things are coming back to me now that we talk, and you you guys are probably gonna have to place these parts in the movies for me, which movie it goes in, because now it's just flooding back to me a little bit. Well, like a, a constant drip, anyway. Um, <laughs> just like uh, your cock they, while you're watching it, I understand. Oh, yeah. oh constant drip, baby. Um, but they, um, <laughs> the, the, the girl tells him when he's waiting in the vehicle which which window to go into. And he goes, but the, it was a big complex. He can't remember which side to go into. He ends up going in and, and getting naked and starting making out and hugging and kissing. It turns out they're in the wrong room, and that's, his, that's the girl's mom and dad in the bed. Yeah, that that is uh, that is this movie, and that, that is, is what movie. I wanted to bring up. The creepy yeah. character is that that the dad, that, the dad. He the is fucking, a, he's, uh, a he, he's a pedophile. <laughs> he is the pedophile dad because he went to kiss the daughter at the end of the movie in her cooch area and ended up kissing her, or, or on her butt and ended up kissing his butt. Yeah, because he was on he, top of her because she she snuck she snuck him the, her boyfriend in. As a girl, somehow fooled the parents because apparently they're the dumbest parents who ever existed. She gets she gets him up in the bed and they're fooling around and he sneaks in. Hey, would you like a glass of milk? And oh, you got mm-hmm. a beautiful body, by the way. Would you mind if I touched it? And like, uh... <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely yeah. uh... that was that was the creep part of the film, absolutely. And again, if you're if you're saying, oh look, this film is. Uh made for the teenagers who are kind of roughly the same age as the characters in the film, what is this telling you about your parents, essentially? Well, they're they're kind of creepy and stupid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> creepy and stupid. Um, that uh, that moment and uh, the moment uh, when the guy gets lockjaw. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. gets, uh, he dislocates his jaw after he tries to sell the guy he's Italian. It makes him a big of a hoagie. There you go. And uh, bites it, dislocates his jaw. They're trying to have a big comical spot in the, ho- the hospital. They, he can't describe what's going on. His name is Greg and the whole deal. And then she, the... the, the um, <laughs> the protagonist nurse, let's call her, uh, will just just kept on giving everybody a hard time. It's really funny, uh, and just <laughs> couldn't be one black character in the film, you know. Yeah, mm. the only part, the only bad part in the film. I'm just kidding. Uh, and uh, it's a really funny part, and uh, she does the nurse does a great job just giving them a hard time, and then she turns around and sees a guy with a bowling ball. 
thumb stuck in a bowling ball. And she's like, she doesn't. It's funny, and she's just sick of this stupid crap at the same time. Yeah. And it's hilarious. All these, all these stupid white people keep walking in with you know, these problems. These dumb crackers keep doing this stuff. Exactly, and I just mm. think that is the fun. That is a good part of the film. Like I said, there's dynamics. There's dimensions. There's other than a beach and a road in this film. It's great. <laughs> can, can we? Can we? As long as we're just kind of riffing on uh, moments in films, there's one bit from the van I want to uh, mm-hmm. bring back up just very briefly. I know for me, and you guys may disagree. When I buy my fuck van, uh, the very first thing I do with my fuck van is take it home to my mom. Yeah, look at my yeah. fuck van. Why is there a bed in the back? <laughs> oh, and, 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 then, and then the mother has the fantasy about being in the fuck van with the uh, the father. Okay, no, no, wait. Was was it the mother having the fantasy, or was it him having the fantasy? Because I was not sure on that. I did not see I, it directly. I, impl- I got the impression, and I didn't like watch it over again to kind of see, but I got the impression that you kind of saw, the mom knows what the fuck this is. Like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, she's like, been in oh, one. Yeah, I mean, she she's not like you know, and that's that's what's again kind of another interesting thing is that this kind of sexual subculture thing was something that was just happening in the air. Like people knew, like, oh, you bought a you bought a tricked out van with a fucking waterbed in the back. Oh, gee, why would you want a waterbed in the back? You're you're gonna go fuck a bunch of chicks, you know? Uh, it's um, like uh, the uh, the old joke is you buy the uh, the buy the camper and you go to the private campground with just your wife every weekend. You know what you're doing in there. You know. <laughs> you know. Every every generation thinks they invented sex, and uh, <laughs> the generation is wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there there is filthy ass pornography made in you know the 1920s uh, and before. But you know, mm-hmm. you, you there's the best pornography doesn't get filmed. If you know what I'm talking about, baby. Well, I don't know. There's some pretty nice stuff out there these days. I'll uh, I'll send you some links, Paul. It's fine. I I was under the impression that it was Ginger Rapist was like all of a sudden fantasizing about about his mom dead because the camera focuses in on him smiling, this goofy ass smile that he has for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Wow, you really have a vivid imagination about your parents. (laughs) Um, and that, that just adds to his creepy gingerness. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta say also, that van is the ugliest fucking van ever. Yeah. Like the, the the fucking stripes, the straight arrow or whatever, like dude, get get that shit taken off and put like a fucking Frank Frazetta painting on it. It, it, it looks it else. looks There's like a, a plumber, like a plumbing There's company, actually, like it was yeah, an yeah, we'll flush you through. There you go. Yeah. Um there's actually a a van, that same type of van. With the the Viking from Frank Frazetta painted on it that I grew up next to, <laughs> I grew up next to uh, passing this van from the same tricked out van from the seventies, big huge Frank Frazetta painted on the side of it. So that was very interesting. You said that. Uh, yeah. Of course he was a Mo- he, of course he was a Molly Hatchet fan, not a Frank Frazetta oh, well, fan. Uh, if you know what I'm saying. God damn it. God damn you just, it. No. I mean, just take an educated guess. Probably a Molly Hatchet fan. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we can sort of wrap up here. Um, get any final thoughts from uh, either of you? We'll start with Paul. Um, uh, Malibu and the van. I you can take them or leave them. Watch them. I, they have good booties and good titties. They're that's all they're there for. They're there for just thereness and bareness. Yeah. See, um, <laughs> that's about it. The last movie, um, uh, Van Nuys, good movie. Go check it out. The only thing, I mean, I love the fact, I love the uh, the kind of beatnik 
biker hippie guy that comes over and gives Zaz a hard time when he's when he's chained when he's chained up to the car. She tricks him, handcuffs him, leaves him basically in the skivvies on the beach. No one can find him. The helicopter's going around the whole time. His mom finds him. How? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I she was, was hoping cruising they'd... for dudes on the beach. Yeah, like, that's clearly. what I'm saying. I was hoping kind of they'd use the same dog that stole the, the bras to steal, to steal the guy's keys and bury him, but I don't think they did. <laughs> uh, and the only thing that I was saying the film is missing for me is I wanted a beach patrol cop insurgent raid onto the beach to surround Zaz to embarrass him even more. Mm. That would have cost too much money, I suspect. That yeah. would have cost too much money, but that's the only thing I think I would add to the film. All right, Daniel? I, I agree. I, I think uh, Van Nuys Boulevard is the only one that's really like essential viewing, quote unquote. If you're if you're going to uh, visit these, um, but all are fairly entertaining, kind of worth you know putting on. But uh, if you're only going to watch one, definitely it's Van Nuys Boulevard, no question. Malibu Beach seems particularly disposable. I mean, there's just really nothing there at all. I think subtextually, I've I've kind of talked about as I've intellectualized these about as much as I possibly can. Well, that's probably not true, but as much as I'm going to tonight. It's um, <laughs> not as much as my stomach can take. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, check them out. It's nice to see these kind of 70s, you know, because I kind of grew up on the 80s versions where they're they're kind of big and cartoony and, and stupid, and uh, to see the kind of more gritty, not realistic, quote-unquote, you know, versions of kind of what the, what the beach culture actually was before it kind of became the... The suntan culture, the 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 kind of plastic surgery and uh, big fake tits version. Rollerblades and uh, cell phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's even later, but you that's know. even later. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I just grew up with Teen Wolf, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up as Teen Wolf. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, definitely interesting. And uh, check these out. I, I would I would revisit Van Nuys Boulevard sometime. Um, yeah. And we didn't even talk about uh, Cooch as a uh, character who is uh, co-opted by the establishment, but maybe another time. Yeah, um, I'm in total agreement. Van Nuys Boulevard's the one that's really worth your time if you're going to visit any of these films. Um, but they're all they're all actually kind of enjoyable. Like they're just they're easy watches. You can you can get through them real quick. They have some nice bare skin. Like actually, almost an excessive amount of bare skin in some cases. No, no, no. Well, no I wouldn't say excessive, but uh, that's probably the wrong word. But uh, it's a shocking amount for what you expect from these yeah. films because they're so low yeah. key, kind of yeah. casual. And but yeah, uh, Van Nuys Boulevard is definitely the one to go for. Um, and not a single pair of fake tits in the whole series. No, it's 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 beautiful. It's actually beautiful. Like just slim, athletic, trim bodies, girl next mm-hmm. door types. Uh, you're not talking AKA real. Lot, lots of fake eyelashes. No, oh, yeah. Well, there, yeah, that's expected. That's expected. But uh, but that's a sign of the times, and really, that's the coolest thing about these films is that they really are take you back, uh, even if you weren't there at the time. Yeah, they they really are a time capsule of a culture that only existed for maybe four or five years at the most. So it, it's it's actually kind of interesting to see that, and uh, I think that makes these films worth watching. I am someone who looks at kind of the history of sexual portrayal and the in the history of kind of like how people viewed sex and how people perceived sexual behavior, and uh, this is definitely, if you look at it as a time capsule for like this particular moment in the late 70s of like how people viewed, you know, 
interpersonal, intergender relations, that sort of thing. Um, it, it is kind of a fascinating time capsule. Even the the even as a film, it might be boring, but as a as a viewpoint of this culture, it's it's kind of fascinating. So, well, I think uh, thank you guys for um, letting me on here. I hope I um, added instead of detracted. So that was fun and uh, just a rule of life: never overthink an orgasm. <laughs> good, good advice. Good advice. Um, okay, so uh, we're gonna. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, Daniel, tell the world about your awesome Doctor Who podcast. If you want to listen to me talk about Doctor Who with my uh, wonderful wife, uh, we do classic and new series. That is Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. That's oispaceman.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And uh, we're going to be doing a bunch of Tom Baker coming up, so check that out if you were a Doctor Who fan. And there are lots of pretty women in that. But of course, they don't take out the tops, so it's. And that was the main problem. Yeah. That's why the, that's why, that's why the BBC destroyed most of the tapes. Uh, well, all the originals had them, but they cut them out. You see. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny if they cut them out, then we'd have those little moments, you know, because they're super violent moments from the '60s that got cut out in Australia, oh. and so the only like footage that exists of a story called Fury of the Deep is the like five seconds of a guy drowning because the Australian censors. Since, you know, got rid of it. And Censoring so is a little weird. Uh, the a little thing just to add on to the end of this one is uh, the original uh, Evil Dead Two. Uh, the only bit that was cut out in British in the, in Britain was when uh, Bobby Hicks kicked uh, Ash when he was laying on the ground because <laughs> it's it's culturally unacceptable to kick a man when he's when he's down. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> All right, Paul. Tell everyone about your awesome beer review channel and your awesome metal channel on YouTube. Well, they are extremely awesome, and if you don't like them, you're not awesome. And uh, it's on PA Brew News. Um, you can check them out on YouTube, PA Brew News, and one word, Facebook, PA Brew News, and on YouTube, you Funeral Dust Six 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 under the channel name Wolf Dark Claw. Check out all the underground black metal from Pennsylvania. That's it. Cool. And, and the little trailer that will run behind this will uh, tell you where to go to find all these links and more uh, podcasts of similar interest if you are so inclined. Uh, we welcome comments and questions. We definitely want more comments and questions. We've been getting a few more here and there in, in the last few episodes, so uh, we really like that. So if you have anything you want to ask us, if you want to criticize us, if you want to suggest movies, please do. Um, you'll find a plethora of ways to do it, whether it's here on the YouTube, if you're watching the YouTube video, or if you go to our Podbean site, you can talk to us there as well. And what are we going to go out for music? Um, I was thinking, since these movies all have this habit of reusing like the same three songs over and over again, I was thinking it was either going to be uh, Chevy Van <laughs> from the van, go. Or uh, one of the other sort of country rock songs going on there. For me, there's no choice. It's Chevy Van. It's the only thing that I could think of is to homage and memoriam to the waterbed that died would be <laughs> Fat Bottom Girls. Make the Rockin' World go around. <laughs> well, that might be the one we picked that, there, that Paul. Might, so, you can't go wrong with Queen. Let's just put it that way, you know. Okay, and then that's era appropriate as well. Era appropriate. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you again next time. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Oh, you gonna take
home tonight. Oh, down beside that red firelight. Oh, you're gonna let it all hang out. Fat bottom girls, you make the rocking world go round. Hey, I was just a skinny lad. Never knew no good from bad. But I knew life before I left my nursery. <laughs> left alone with big fat fatty. She was such a naughty natty. You big woman, you made a bad boy out of me. Hey, hey. I've been singing with my band. Cross the wire, cross the Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.